0: Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Later in today's programme, I'll be talking to art and map specialist Jonathan Wattis about the photographs of Robert Crisp Hurley, who came here in 1879 and remained for 48 years. But first, I get out and about with David Bellis of com. Last week, David was my guide along Lugard Road. This week, we walk along Harlick Road just down from the peak to some former firing ranges and Pinewood
1: Battery. Here we are, we're at the junction of Harlot Road, Hatton Road, Lugard Road and it's a little flat open area, you can see there's a pavilion, a few exercise stations a lot of people come up here for their morning exercise but it's got quite a few interesting stories about military history so if we can just take about five, ten minutes and have a little stroll around here I'll show you you what I mean So we're going to head off towards the Harlot Road direction and harlech road as far as we can make out is named after the royal welsh fusiliers who were here and were working on its construction and of course men of harlech is the the song that they all sing as they march boldly along Tons of fire. Harlot Road, uh, built as a military road. At that time you had Mount Austin Barracks, just up above where the Peak Tram Terminus is today. So As you walk along Harlot Road, you're going flat around the peak. If you just keep an eye on the downhill slope, you'll see these little concrete steps disappear off at various places, or little paths running along below the road. they all kind of a bit overgrown and ruined now. But these would take you down to the firing platforms. So Harlech Road was basically a rifle range. So every, every, um, every so often they'd shut it to the public and they'd have soldiers at these different firing platforms, 100 yards, 200 yards, practising their shooting across the, the hills and the valley over to a, a, a set of targets on the hill, and we'll see those in a moment.
0: And this is what time period?
1: Well, the, the barracks were right at the end of the 19th century, so around 1900. And then we've got people who were here in their 50s as children and they've written in and said that this was one of their great excitements that after they'd closed the road and done the rifle shooting the kids would wait till the road opened and they'd dash over to the the hill behind the targets and see if they could dig the bullets out of the ground
0: there. (laughs) I bet there's still... Do you think we'll find some today?
1: I've had a good look. We need a friend with a metal detector, I think there must be some. So if you stand in the little pavilion, you've got the peak on your left... You've got high west on your right. Then over in the corner at about two o'clock, there's a little path heads off into the undergrowth, and that's where we'll go next.
0: Well, that little squeaky sound that you might be able to hear is actually uh, an older gentleman here doing one of those exercises where you wind your hands round. So down some steps, along a little pathway, where you can actually see some old paving slabs underneath. Nice dappled sunlight coming through the shrubbery here. I've seen some uh, quite a few butterflies today as well.
1: There's a certain type of butterfly that only comes out in the cold weather. Have you seen that? They've got a a bright yellow and red wing. Is that right? So it's kind of the opposite to everybody else.
0: So we can have year-round butterflies. (laughs) What's the plane, David? (laughs)
1: It's not World War II, that's for sure. (laughs) So in in front of us we've got this quite neat granite wall. So this is where the soldiers would be safely behind the wall and they'd be poking the targets up over the top. And then back along Harlick Road on those little firing platforms we were talking about, they'd be shooting across the valley to try and hit the targets here. So the, the hillside just behind us, which is actually quite overgrown now but I remember it was much more scrubby and that's where all the bullets would have gone and the the kids wouldn't be coming to pick them out to the Uh, the hill if you fancy a challenge the path here does actually go up the top of of High West not for the day I don't think but it's certainly fantastic views when you're up there
0: yes it's a nice place I mean what I do find in Hong Kong which sounds a bit cliched but 7 million people and yet here we are in the middle of, well, you know, just down from the peak mm. at the end of Lugard Road. We've headed off into, um, off Harlick Road and, uh, yeah, we've got, it's us, the butterflies and the birds.
1: And the odd jet plane flying overhead <laughs> as well. No, I live down the bottom of the slopes here. I live on Potflam Road and the reason I love the area so much is that you can literally walk across Potflam Road and you're into the, the the green and the trees. It's lovely. Up there, the ground down, So we're on the path. If you want to look for them, there are two square concrete blocks right next to each other. And then on the uphill side, you're probably going to have to scramble into the bush just about three or four metres to see it. But you'll find there, there are dips down and, and obviously areas which have been excavated. And then these would have been dug during the late part of the Japanese occupation. You'll find the hills of Hong Kong are quite riddled with these little tunnels they were building for defence
0: tunnels still exist.
1: Yes there are some Jardines Lookout for example which open up into these great caverns inside. Other ones are just a very simple passage back into the hill where perhaps someone could hide inside. Larger ones we've seen also around Jardines Lookout on multiple levels so they're quite extensive some of them. And open? varies. The ones that we're standing in front of here these have been blocked up. Uh, Many of them have but no you can still find quite a few to go and scramble around if, you, if you're so fancy. I think the most scary one we've had yet was uh, home to a porcupine who went shooting past us at one point and gave us a heart attack. It was just a baby, thank goodness.
0: Uh-huh. And what were these... So these tunnels were built by the Japanese military, as you say, towards the end of the occupation. This was with a view to what?
1: Well, if you look at the way the Japanese fought, they started off with a similar approach to Britain. So Britain... When the Japanese came to Hong Kong, they found pillboxes all around the the coast of Hong Kong. And a pillbox, of course, it's, it's completely obvious where it is, everyone knows. So you just rain bombs down on it until it's obliterated. The Japanese then, as they were defending the islands on the Pacific and the Americans were coming across, they took much more of a guerrilla approach. You'd have... Um, Tunnels dug deep into the hillside where you'd be safe from the shell fire, and then you'd pop out, you'd do raids, you'd, you'd, you'd cause casualties, you'd go back to your tunnels. And so, obviously, that, that message and style of fighting had come to Hong Kong, and so the Japanese here were preparing to defend Hong Kong um, and digging the tunnels for, for the similar warfare. Now, the you know, the merits of the atomic bomb are certainly fiercely debated, but to the British people who were here in Hong Kong in the internment camps, they could see that if either there was prolonged fighting against an invading Allied force, um, they'd be in trouble or perhaps they would just all be slaughtered before the the Allies arrived. So they certainly welcomed the, uh, the very sharp and sudden end to the war that the atomic bombs brought
0: now, coming down from where the Japanese tunnels were, we're standing at the crossroads. of Hatton Road that uh, heads on down, and uh, we're still on the end of Harlick Road.
1: Yeah, so from our pavilion, we're now down at sort of the 5 o'clock. This is um, Harlick Road. It carries on down to a, a flat lookout area at the end. And you'll see there's a little concrete structure there with a, a sign saying it's a pillbox. It's not actually. It's a, an artillery observation post. That was its formal name. So this is where you'd, you'd have people uh, watching where your artillery was going and also watching the enemy's artillery and, and perhaps trying to shoot against them.
0: And that would have been built for the Second World War?
1: Yes, that was a, a Second World War time. As you walk along Harlick Road here, if you keep an eye out on the left and the right, there's one on the right and a few more on the left, these little square granite posts, they're probably about a foot square, and they mark the old boundary of War Department land. So you'll see a WD, an arrow and a number... And so where, where the War Department had land, they would mark out the boundaries. This is the land that goes down the hill to Pinewood Battery. And if we carry on down Hatton Road, we'll come to Pinewood Battery in a, in a short while.
0: As you come down Hatton Road, so we're walking down, um, and uh, to your left is the uh, stone steps up to Pinewood Battery.
1: Yes, that's right. Now, we, we've got the path to ourselves because we're exceptionally late. This is the early morning walkers' trail. You want to be here about dawn i think that's when it's really really busy with people pinewood battery yeah it's it's an unusual one it's a coastal defense that was what it was built for
0: so what is a battery
1: battery so there will be several gun emplacements up there with large guns and these ones built for coastal defense so defending the western entrance to the harbor against a foreign navy coming and attacking our shipping and it's very high up the hill unusually it's the highest in in hong kong by the 1920s then Britain was seeing a, another threat, sort of, this is after World War I, and seeing how how effective planes were in the fighting. And it was refitted as an anti aircraft battery. And that's what it was used for during the wartime, so 1941 when the, the Japanese were attacking. It was heavily bombed and shelled. And so by December 15th, only about halfway through the fighting, it was uh, abandoned. It wasn't used. So
0: December 15th, 1941, 1941 this place yeah. had been absolutely battered.
1: Yes, it was put out of action, and uh, they, they stopped using it.
0: Now, who would have... So this would have been British Army manning this?
1: It would have been British Army. I'm not sure exactly who would have been stationed here, although we say British Army. A lot of the soldiers at that time, that time were from India. And even by India, now we mean, of course, India and Pakistan, so it could have been any of those those group.
0: And here at Pinewoods, Battery, as you say, you go up the steps. And uh, what can we still see today?
1: Well, on the seafront... So at that edge you can see very clearly the two round gun emplacements and you can see how the concrete is damaged by the the fighting. Back around, sort of built into the hill, you'll find the... uh, I guess it was where the people lived, where they had the stores. They're cut into the hillside. And as you walk along in front of them, you can see the camouflage paint very clearly still, the greens and the browns in these great swirly patterns. Now As you go and walk around the site, you can see they've put up information boards as well. It's been been done well. It's a good piece of heritage, and it's explaining the story to, to people, and that's, that's what we need. This was covering the, the western entrance to the harbour, and it was one of many batteries. We've got Mount Davis, we've got Jubilee, there's Pinewood here, the Belchers. That was a battery there. There were more Belchers. had another couple of batteries nearby. And just as we get into the Hong Kong U grounds, we'll see one of the big guns that's Still there. That was the Victoria Battery.
0: And uh, so, foreign navies. When was this? When was Pinewood Battery built?
1: Pinewood built 1905.
0: So this would have been worries about the French and the Russians.
1: Yep, French and Russians around that time. Of course, later would be the uh, the German Navy as well. Not the Japanese at that time. They were our allies. So that that problem came along later.
0: So you'd have had your gun emplacements up at Pinewood Battery. Um, but how did they know, really? I mean, was it all based on sight that they would know when these navies were possibly threatening Hong Kong?
1: Mm. I, th- I think we're probably going to have to ask Stephen Davis. He's, he'd be the man <laughs> who'd, who'd tell us the full story. But we do know that just downhill a bit further was something called a position-finding cell. And I, and I think that was about finding the position of the ship and feeding that back to the batteries in the district. It's a bit tricky to get to, we're now in front of a big signboard, board, Longfusan Country Park, and we're at a junction. You are here, so Longfusan straight ahead of us. Hatton Road continues down to the right. If you turn left and then immediate right, you come to a public toilet. And if you...
0: And when was that built? <laughs>
1: I'm afraid this is not a heritage public toilet and will not be discussed further.
0: <laughs> is it inappropriate?
1: <laughs> Definitely inappropriate. If you, um, if you look just behind the the toilet so you'll see a, a track heads off, fo- follows the contour round of the hill and then it's quite a clear path and you'll just come to this beautifully over constructed staircase with these great granite brick walls on either side and down below it you'll find these four position finding cell. They, they're kind of collapsing I think people stole the iron when times were hard in Hong Kong and so the, the roofs are caving in now but the uh just just the, the sight of the staircase, I think, is, is quite fantastic. <laughs> so here we are. We're getting towards the end of Hatton Road now, and you can tell because you come to one of these granite obelisks, city boundary, 1903. So this is where we leave the countryside and we come back to the city of Victoria, and its, its boundary is marked with these stones all around Hong Kong.
0: David Bellis there of com. Being a self-confessed computer geek, David's trying to recreate the railway terminus at Chimsa Choi in 3D format. The building was knocked down in 1978. He needs your help and we'll return to him later in the programme. The newspapers reporting 100 years ago. Well, this is from November the 22nd, 1915. Against the backdrop of war in Europe, life in the colony continued with many newspaper reports of daily life strangely familiar to a reader today. Fierce rivalry between football teams has been in the news recently, but it wasn't unheard of on Hong Kong football grounds 100 years ago. In this vibrant, albeit obscure, account of a Division II juniors match from the Hong Kong Telegraph, under the headline, Sportsman Disgusted, the reader is left none the wiser which team had brought the sport into such disrepute. Many Hong Kong sportsmen who witnessed the match between St Joseph's College and the Islamics played at Happy Valley on Saturday were more than disgusted with the exhibition of what can be more aptly described in football parlance as dirty play. It would hardly be fair to single out for mention the one team who were the delinquents, but they know who the cap fits, and in football circles in the colony, they will have lost a good deal of their prestige. It's a pity that such a game as football should be spoilt by members of a team who apparently forgot the field is not the place for them to enter into strife, but a place where they should endeavour to play a good clean game. Those spectators who had the fortitude to remain until the end of the game could not fail to experience feelings of abhorrence when they saw player after player limping off the ground. Many of them had sustained several injuries, and these could not, by any means, be termed as accidents in every case. The Islamics won two goals to one. Robert Crisp Hurley came to Hong Kong in 1879 from Britain after his firm became insolvent. He even ran a laundry here for a year... But funnily enough, that's not what he's remembered for. Hurley actually drew maps of Hong Kong, gave tours, photographed the city, and created visitor guidebooks. His work is being exhibited at Wattis Fine Art in Central until December the 12th. I joined Jonathan Wattis at his gallery.
2: Yes, he's a fascinating character. Because he lived in Hong Kong for 48 years, nearly 50 years, from the 1879 to uh, 1927, so he, he bridged a very long period of, of early Hong Kong and uh, was involved with different enterprises. But he was known particularly within, say, the antique world for producing very rare photographs and rare guidebooks
0: which you've got in front of us we've got in fact handbook to the british crown colony of hong kong and dependencies what are the dependencies of hong kong
2: i imagine new territories um, and kowloon his early guidebook was done on hong kong in 1897
0: we've also got picturesque hong kong a British Crown Colony and Dependencies, fully illustrated with maps and plans, etc. And it's interesting also to see that this is one of these is uh, printed by Kelly and Walsh, um, and that's back in 1920. So Kelly and Walsh, a, as as printers uh, as publishers, go back a long they, way. They
2: do go back a long way, and originally in Shanghai, um, certainly in the 1880s, they were they were publishing books there as well. Uh, so yes, they have quite a quite a an output, And uh, particularly by the 20s and 30s in Shanghai, they were producing a number of books.
0: Now, Jonathan, you've been working together with uh, Dr Stephen Davies, who's an uh, academic. He's also a maritime expert who I've heard on the programme. And he's the editor currently of the Royal Asiatic Society Journals. And you've been working on finding out about Robert Crisp Hurley. So you've got his guidebooks. But uh, were you able to find out lots about his life?
2: We were. So we started trying to track him down and we worked out that he was born in London and I've got a copy on the table of his birth certificate which, which we had sent so we could track him down, we could track his parents down, he was born in Islington so that was a good start um, and then, and then we, we find out where he's living in, 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 in England um, and then we, we discover he has a company um, in Liverpool for a while before he comes to Hong Kong
0: I'm talking to Jonathan Wattis of Wattis Fine Art here in uh, at the bottom of Old Bailey Street uh, about the photographer Robert Crisp Hurley who uh, lived from 1848 to 1927 and was in fact based in Hong Kong for 48 years. Um, so, what brought him first of all to Hong Kong?
2: Well, the, we we traced the the record of his company, and um, it was in uh, his, his his company had become insolvent, so he'd um, obviously. Um, failed in that business and the next thing we know he's coming to Hong Kong um, on a ship called the Glenifer um, and then he's in Hong Kong uh, working as an accountant with a, a trading company so he starts off as an accounts clerk with a trading company in Hong Kong in 1879 so we are We're lucky to be able to uh, research him by using the jury lists and uh, some of these, you you can find out information about what occupation people had. So we have him um, in 1885, he's um, running a a laundry in Barrington, Barrington Laundry, and this is in the... uh, um, in the jury list of that year. And I think he's only running it for one year. So, But that, that's a fascinating bit of information because Barrington is down um, towards Causeway Bay, Happy Valley. The canal, Canal Road, was called the Barrington Canal. Um, now you've got the Canal Road East and Canal Road West. But he was running a laundry down there. But obviously that was not meant to be because he was only running it for a year and then... Uh, then he appears doing something else. But we, 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 we track him doing various occupations. Um, so was
0: he multi-talented or he couldn't hold a job down?
2: This is the question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, possibly a bit of both. <laughs> um, but certainly we, 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 we rediscover him um, in 1895 in, um, in Canton uh, or Guangzhou, the city of, and he's on the, um, the island, which was a concession, a foreign concession, called Shamian or Shamian, And uh, he's, he's running the uh, Shamian Hotel. He's manager of this hotel um, this year in 1895. And this was the year when he produced his first guidebook, which was a guidebook to Canton. Um, it was actually a guidebook to Canton, uh, Macau, and the rest West River. He uh, would have illustrated that with some of his photographs but also he drew some maps for that and we actually have in this particular exhibition a few of his maps as well that he he drew so if we look on the wall here we can see here's a map of the West River a branch of the Chuqiang or Pearl River and it says in the bottom here compiled and drawn by R.C. Hurley and so it's, it's this, this, this river to the west of Guangzhou which was I believe people would take trips from Guangzhou on, on steamers and go along to various destinations in those days. And it's quite scenic in some some parts. Um, so this is quite an interesting map because it's very unusual to find. I think I've seen one other map of the West River, which was slightly more technical, uh, like a hydrographic map. So there wasn't much on that.
0: So Robert Chris Hurley, he comes to Hong Kong in 1879. So did he travel quite a lot in China or uh, stuck to sort of Shamian and areas like that?
2: What we know about him is, uh, first of all, he's in Hong Kong, then he's in in Canton, um, but he's only there for a year or two that we know of. And then we know he's back in Hong Kong in 1896 and 1897 because he then does a book on um, Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee Uh, which had 60 um, tipped-in album and print uh, views of buildings in in Hong Kong. And we have on display about 20 of those on the wall over here. The main buildings of the time are shown in this book. Um, And these are the pictures that we believe he took. And we have a Hong Kong-Shanghai bank... We have the central market, uh, the front of the central market. We have the Hong Kong Club. We have um, government offices, government house. We have various schools, belilios School, um, Queen's College, but not on display. That one we don't have, but we have the Church of Immaculate Conception. Um, we have City Hall, Civic Hospital, uh, Berlin Foundling House. There are, there are a number of... So it's actually a document uh, of a lot of it was on architecture of the time, but these would be the most prominent buildings. Um, and and also some statues like the Victoria uh, statue, which was put up for the Jubilee.
3: In publishing on the occasion of the Diamond Jubilee of Her Most Gracious Majesty Queen Victoria, this collection of pictures of Hong Kong, the first of which displays the island in all its primitive barrenness and desolation, and the latest of which shows it again in its present extent and magnificence, the author would venture to draw attention to the fact that the extraordinary transition here illustrated lies wholly within the period of the 60 years covered by Her Majesty's glorious reign, and also to the fact that nowhere throughout the wide extent of her dominions is there to be found a more striking illustration of the vast changes that have signalised that reign and the marked qualities which have enabled her subjects to extend that dominion to the furthermost corners of the earth, their spirit of enterprise, their power of dealing with and successfully governing and controlling alien races, their determination and ready adaptability, their general honesty and integrity, and their steady perseverance and pluck. In Hong Kong, a summing up of all these glories and successes is to be found – and this unpretending collection of illustrations is offered to the public as a suggestive and lasting memorial of the grandest jubilee the world has ever witnessed.
0: The work of Robert Chris Purley is on show at What Is Fine Art in the exhibition... Original photos of Hong Kong, Macau, and Canton, 1868 until 1964, on show until December the 12th. My thanks to Jonathan Wattis and also the loaned out dulcet tones of RTHK's Ian Pula. I'm just sitting with David Bellis looking at his Samsung. Android, And in in the middle of it, it's sort of, we've got this 3D image that's starting to appear that can turn on its side as he's doing very funkily with his index finger right now. Um, And it's of the clock tower that you can see, of course, on the waterfront at Chim Choi. But David, you've got quite a a photo project that you'd like to take on to recreate the railway station as was.
1: Yes, this is is my inner geek coming out. I love (laughs) anything where we can combine technology and history. So... The project is, can we find enough enough old photos of the KCR Terminus building, and they need to be taken from all different angles, can we feed them into this computer software and then let it rebuild a 3D model of the building? I just think that would be a pretty cool thing to do. So the, the way it works is something called structure from motion. That's the fancy name for it. But if you think how you get depth of vision... It's the fact that our two eyes see things from a slightly different angle and the brain's clever enough to work out then the sense of depth. And you can do the same with a computer. If you take two photos of an object from two different angles and feed it to the computer, the computer can work out the depth. And then if you keep doing that, so you basically walk around the object, taking picture after picture after picture, the computer's clever enough to build up a full 3D model. Now the problem we have is that the KCR building is gone. We can't take the pictures. So all we've got left is the, the tower. But what I'm hoping is that listeners out there may have photos of the, the building that they could send in, and then I can feed them into the software, and over time we'll, we'll reconstruct the, the building, and I'll put the, the finished project up on the Internet for all to see. And even better, if anyone knows of a movie sequence... Where they go past the buildings. Maybe someone was in a rickshaw and they were going past it, or somebody pans past it in a, in a shot of a movie. Um, again, it's, it's motion we're looking, multiple views from different angles, and that's what the software can make use of.
0: This is a project for all of us to recreate the railway station, which is such a beautiful building at Chimsar Choi. David Bell is about to recreate the railway station that was the old KCR over on Chimsar Choi, so we need film footage and uh, also any photographs that people may have of the old railway station. Well, best of luck with that project, David. Thank you very much. My thanks to David Bellis, who serves the community with his excellent history website, com. If you have photos or video of the former railway station at Chimsa Choi, then do send an email to David. His email is david at com. Next week I start a project to look at Hong Kong's heritage of sound and some of the sounds that have disappeared from our soundscape here. I also learn how 100 years ago a lady called Myrtle got rather drunk at the docks and landed in front of a judge. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.